Welcome to Innovation Capital, presented by PatSnap. Here on Innovation Capital, we take a fresh, unfiltered look at some of the biggest topics shaping innovation today. Leave everything you know about innovation at the door, because you have now entered a universe where we turn established ideas on their head and ask the questions that fuel great innovation, growth and scalability. This is Innovation Capital. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to episode 10 of Innovation Capital presented by PatSnap. In today's episode, we sit down with Zaina Kayat. And in this episode, we will look at the innovation opportunities for the future of aging. Zaina is futurist strategist with SE Health, formerly St. Elizabeth Healthcare, a health and social impact enterprise with a major focus on creating a better future for aging adults in their homes and communities. Today's episode is fascinating. You are all going to absolutely love it. And without further ado, let's jump right into today's interview. Zaina, welcome to Innovation Capital. Really excited about today's conversation. Longevity is front of mind in the public eye and also internally with a lot of the clients we serve here at PatSnap. So I would love to kick off with learning a little bit about your story and how you got into the wonderful world of longevity and healthcare. Uh, Hi, thanks for having me. Uh, I love that you're focusing on this topic. So, you know, I I can't say that I, you know, knew as a kid that one day I'm going to be a future strategist in the aging space, but I guess I backed into it. Uh, In hindsight, it's because uh, I love working on really messy, complex, wicked, intractable challenges and opportunities uh, in an area that's important to society. And that's definitely the future of aging space. Uh, just quick background. I mean, I'm a scientist by training. I, I did a PhD in biochemistry and diabetes research. research. Uh, but uh, I pivoted to the business world with Boston Consulting Group for 10 years. So that's how I, I really learned my business chops and how to work on solving really complex uh, problems, particularly in healthcare. Uh, and then, you know, work through the whole tech space in healthcare with Mars Discovery District here in Toronto, which is kind of Canada's global address for tech innovation. And uh, and they did a little bit of time in Europe uh, and then came back in uh, in 2018 to lead the uh, future, to be the future strategist with an organization called SE Health, uh, which was formerly St. Elizabeth Healthcare. And we're a social enterprise, 112 years of visiting older adults in their homes to deliver care. And that's really our living lab to now create the future of aging instead of just uh, the future of seniors care. And that's what I do. And, and with the future of aging, what's the background context? Because for us here at PatSnap, we've started seeing more and more organizations, more capital being deployed with early stage businesses who are focusing on longevity. But just on, on a 100,000 foot view, when did this kind of movement really start where this is more front of mind and there's more research dollars, more early stage investment dollars going in this category. Well, what's the backstory? I mean, the simplest would be that the baby boomers of which one was born every 10 seconds in most, you know, let's call them Western economies, uh, just started turning 70 a few years ago. And uh, they, as they bulldozed through every age category from being infants that led to pediatricians, uh, teenagers that led to McDonald's, uh, and suburbs and fridges and malls. <laughs> uh, they've created every category. Toys R Us, 
And well, now they're in this segment and no categories have been really created for this population and, and they will not age the same way their parents did. And so that's really, I think, the trigger that led to, you know, a lot of um, some of the writing and research and, of course, tech innovation. You know, Procter & Gamble, just as a proxy, right, um, they're the case study of every business school. Uh, it takes a lot for them to create a new category, right? They've got uh, diapers and feminine products. Well, aging is their new category. So the, that's a pretty big sign. <laughs> Walmart, Best Buy, Samsung, every company has created a category for this space. So I think that's the, been the tipping point. And then I think more macroeconomic, uh, by about 2035 in most economies, one in every five people will be over 65. And there is nothing uh, in our history as a species that has prepared us for that proportion of the population to be that age. And so pretty much every social construct and norm, policy, product, service is up for grabs uh, to meet this market where its needs and expectations are. And, and that's really the promise and, and why we wanted to capture all that in a book. And from, from a science level, are there particular paradigms which are enabling fundamental research, which has a route to commercialization? Were there, were there some key kind of epiphany points within the scientific community which are enabling yeah so, big rise of longevity players so let's be clear what longevity is so there's one stream which is the longevity science which is around you know sure we've quadrupled life expectancy in in the better part of a century which is really again unheard of for our species uh for about 99 percent of the time um we've been um humans uh the average life expectancy was about 18 years old um, so, so that science will continue. We're not actually that interested in that. We're just going to assume based on the science that we, uh, we are not done yet in life extension. Um, uh, Aubrey de Grey, who's kind of the top aging longevity science commercialization, um, thought leader in the world, uh, you know, just published last week that he now thinks there's a pretty good chance by 2036, we'll hit what he calls longevity escape velocity. So much like, you know, with a rocket ship, there's a point where the pull of gravity uh, is overcome because the rocket power can get you out of that, you know, part of the stratosphere. And now you're in escape velocity where you just keep going. Nothing will pull you down. Well, we will get to a point for every year you and I are alive. Science can keep us alive for 1.1 years. Right. So we're not really that interested in that. We're saying if that's the case, if we're already going to live way longer <laughs> than we ever did before, uh, what are the new uh, product services policies that have to be created? So I don't think there's a lot of science in that. That's just good design is what's needed. And um, the incumbents are not going to be the ones to create that. That's going to be a bunch of new players. That's our hypothesis. So it's interesting you mentioned year 2036 is when we reach escape velocity. Human beings by nature, we're not great at understanding or anticipating exponential curves. That's yeah. been proven many times in history. What's the background behind that? Because I'm quite shocked hearing that year as the inflection point. Is there a background wave of technology or fundamental research, which is yeah. Yeah. Us in so, that position? Again. I'm not the expertise, but as faculty at Singularity, this is a big area and, and people like Aubrey de Grey and many others, uh, you know, this is their life's work. There's a whole societies for this. So again, I'm just going to assume it's right. <laughs> um, uh, but really a lot of it is, uh, yeah, like, 
you know, dementia, most of the uh, musculoskeletal diseases, most of the cancers are diseases of the aged, right? It's your accumulated stuff in your life. Your body stops working. Those will start to go away. I mean, a lot of futurists predict that uh, the number one causes of um, morbidity uh, and mortality, so illness and death, uh, will not be physical disease like they are today. It'll be geopolitical. It'll be um, crime. It'll be accidents. Whatever it is. So, so that's it. There's a lot of you know uh, therapies, uh, and then you know you could argue these aging in place technologies, which frankly is where most of the tech market is at in terms of the startup economy and investment and capital, you know, remote monitoring and and that stuff. Uh, those are helping. Those are life extension technologies as well, uh, robots and digital companions. But the needle really moves from uh, uh, reversing aging through biological manipulation. Yeah, because I think a lot of our team here have enjoyed the piece called Lifespan by David Sinclair, mm-hmm. which I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with. And he talks about, got it. So I'm probably going to butcher this. So please jump in and say that. It's where he talks about a cell's either in growth mode or repair mode. And we've identified certain genes, lifestyle habits, which can activate that repair mode. So yep. with that specific stream, where where are some of the low-hanging fruit opportunities in the next three, four years? Where are some of the big, exciting developments which enable that gene activation? Yeah, I'll have to say it's not my area of expertise. I mean, I think this stuff is big science, right? Like, you know, this is tricking ourselves to, uh, you know, whereas because of accumulated whatever toxicity in our environment or age, um, uh, you know, like the WINT signaling pathway, for example, is a big one, WNT, that you can now turn those things off. So a bit of that is just biology, much like the way the mRNA vaccines work. You just go in and manipulate and, um, you know, it could be va- vaccines like Moderna and others have vaccines that are anti-aging uh, or other things. Uh, and then there could be just, you know, a bit of what's broader in the, I think, the wellness space of things you can do to reduce the toxicity in your cellular environment. But that's been there forever around um, free radicals and, um, you know, bad food <laughs> and, and stress and circadian clock. And, you know, that's all just good stuff to do. Um, but I mean, I think the real push will be when you can eliminate disease, just like we've eliminated polio and um, and other diseases we don't talk about, tuberculosis, uh, because you can now have a therapy to turn those pathways on. So again, I don't want to go too deep in it because it's not my area, and and we're we're more interested in all the innovation, which will actually move the markets. Of okay, when all these people are staying alive for a long time because diseases aren't killing them. Uh, uh, the world that is available today to them, predefined housing models that are one size fits all, a mandatory retirement <laughs> at age 65. Meanwhile, you're going to stay alive to 90. So what are those 35 years? You know, um, all everything is got to be redone to be ready for that. And that's what we've been focusing on. OK, so fascinating. So even the design of a city, right, to adopt and this new world. Yep. Chapter one. So what, what are some of the big kind of key pillars you're trying to knock down initially? Yeah, so we let the data speak to us in the book. So we partnered with an innovation firm uh, that's actually based in Canada, the UK, uh, Singapore, and California, Idea Couture, and uh, and did the research for over a year of what are the signals of the future of aging? What are some signs and interesting things emerging? Uh, and then we let those 350 or so signals that we tracked 
uh, tell us the story of what are the themes that are clustering. And that ended up being the five chapters of the book. And so the, the, the five big areas is one, you, you alluded to it, um, housing and community and all things around, let's say, the built and the non-built environment of how and where you live. That's chapter one. The second was around, of course, healthcare that, that came up. So you mentioned lifespan, the book. Well, the new, you know, the new job to be done for healthcare is not to keep you alive at all costs and cure disease. Uh, it's to match your health span to your lifespan. And we don't do that today. So that's got massive implications for the entire, I don't know, $14 trillion <laughs> sector. Uh, chapter three was all about gerund technology. So technology and aging. So not just life extension like we've talked about, but uh, all sorts of tools to help you live with agency and independence and on your terms. Uh, chapter four was about the economy of aging. So everything about how you make money, save money, spend money, and pass on a legacy. Um, uh, uh, pretty much every assumption about that is up for grabs. There are very few financial products that are ready for this. So we look at you know money. And then chapter five is all about the identity of aging. So that's that's ageism. Think of racism going through its moment. Think of feminism. Um, and sexism, uh, ageism is the next one that's going to have a major shift of social constructs, uh, and and COVID just accelerated that, to be honest. So those were the big themes, and then within each, there's a lot more to unpack. So uh, unpacking initially, redesigning that fourteen trillion dollar economy, like that sounds insane because that's going to re unbundle everything, and everything potentially has to be redesigned to match. Uh, your, your health plan to your actual lifespan. So that's interesting you mentioned that. I love the way you you put that. Saying so what are some of the big scary challenges initially on, on that front in terms of redesigning our healthcare system to match this potential new paradigm? Well, so I, I pretty much have concluded that uh, the current healthcare systems, whether that's you know the NHS in the UK, uh, what we do here in Canada, the US, uh, they're not going to redesign themselves. You know, they'll work on the margins. They'll slowly migrate and meet people where their needs are. Uh, I think it's going to be a whole set of new players that come in and bring better um, policies, products, services, and experience. And there's so much to do. So it's not like anyone's stealing, <laughs> let's call it market share from anyone. Uh, but just reminder, right? So uh, I'll just use Canadian data, but it's the same everywhere. Today, about 17% of our population is over 65. And again, by 2035, that'll be like 25%. Um, that consumes about 45% of all the resources, So, and which is what you'd expect, right? And of course, within that, there's a massive micro-segmentation. So let's say half of the, to the total industry of healthcare is uh, for services for the older population today. And now just play it out right, what that will be tomorrow. And so uh, all that is up for grabs uh, in terms of uh, personalization, hyper-segmentation. And the most important is there is no more medical model. You know, that doesn't make sense because the aging process is all about how you relate to all the different things that are around you, not just your formal medical services. So if you think you're going to solve for what people want to increase, you know, to match their health span to their lifespan through purely medical means, uh, it's not going to work, right? And so, so that's a lot of what the game is, is who can play on all the variables of your social needs, your functional needs. So moving, <laughs> let's say, uh, and of course, 
it's a given you're going to have to deal with your health needs. Uh, and so so that's a lot of what we explored. And, and then we unpacked certain parts of that uh, in a little bit more detail based on the data. Unpacking, what would you say are the key pillars which would be great for our audience to have front of mind as the big scary challenges for us to for us as a as a world yeah. to adapt so, to? Yeah, I'd say four big things. So one was the shift from um treating aging like a disease that has to be, you know, kind of um uh, uh I guess a, a like an anti-aging, like you want to avoid it, like it's such a bad thing, to a lot more of you know, whoever's developing products and services for this segment. Uh, is allowing them to age affirmatively on their terms, you know, like, and, and just, just helping them get through that instead of uh, trying to avoid it. Or like, as soon as you hit a certain point when you can't function well, then that's it. You're going off to get warehoused in an institution and, and we're going to move on. So, so affirmative aging, uh, let's call it aging with agency uh, over your health experience. That's one. Two is like I said, from curing disease uh, to, uh, adapting that lifestyle to maximize health span. Uh, and so the ga- the name of the game, if you're in healthcare, is how do I let people adapt and manage in the face of a medical or physical challenge instead of this kind of cure-all approach? Uh, and if you start there, you get a very different uh, organization of services. <laughs> the third is, of course, uh, a very physical model of health because it's actually easy to measure things like heart rate, blood pressure, um, and, you know, things in your bloodstream, for example, because we've had a very medical model. And then a lot more of at least a balanced leg of a stool of the emotional determinants of your health and your healing. And of course, COVID really showed that, (laughs) you know what I mean, in terms of like social uh, social, uh, access. And then the last, we did a little bit deeper on um, because dementia and cognitive decline is such a big proportion of the challenges of the older adult population in healthcare. So, for example, in my world, I'd say it's 30% of all of our clients. Um, so, this shift from trying to just treat Alzheimer's and cognitive decline to um, maybe reframing, and this is where startups will be huge, to you know, neuroplasticity and brain retraining. So how do you hack around when biology goes one pathway uh, and and come over it? And I think neuroplasticity research and commercialization is very, very early right now. Mm. So and then you mentioned another key one, which I can't get out of my mind, this new paradigm of ageism. Yeah. Did you want that? Because that, that initially, it kind of makes sense, but I'd love to know the detail behind that that forecast. Yeah. So, you know, just the identity of aging, um, again, because um, for the longest time we've been around as a species, uh, things were decided that at around 65, because that's what the science and the data showed, you really were alive for four or five more years. And so that's how you planned everything, right? And, uh, And the framework was a deficit framework. Think of the pictures you see of an old person for like a street sign. What's the image you would imagine? Usually, yes, yeah, it's, it's normally kind of hunched over, poor posture. Yeah, yeah with a cane, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, and then language like gray tsunami. Uh, you know, uh, uh, there was even like really ridiculous hashtags of COVID, like boomer remover. Like what? And so, uh, not only is that just f- frankly wrong, and again, you think about when racism—not that it's gone away—but at the you know, in the peak, I think of in North America before 1965, 
uh, or sexism before some of the women's movements. Like at the time, it was just normal to be that way, right? That's how we are today with ageism. So when you're on a podcast uh, and someone's like, oh, I'm so old and their face is all, you know, angry. And it's like, that's ageist. Like, stop it. <laughs> so um, so I think that's what we unpack in many ways. But it's, you know, um, the big one is around uh, this shift from you usually a crisis happens and then that's it. It's all decided for you. You know, uh, you've fallen down or you've gotten cancer. Uh, to a lot more of uh, this, this, this really, it's a fifth stage of life that didn't exist before of, of reinventing, recreating, and really about purpose in a way it never was before, because you're not out to build a career and all those things. Um, you know, the whole wisdom word, right? That's, we've had that in our East Asian societies for centuries, in our indigenous populations, that wisdom now becomes a massive asset to society. Uh, and then, you know, we did go deep in, in uh, our ageism chapter around sexuality, um, because that's a whole market waiting to be designed for uh, around, you know, moving to conforming to sexual norms, to finally being able to really authentically uh, enact one's gender and sexuality. And then there's a whole bunch around that, around incontinence and, uh, you know, the, so many ways women and men in this category are not looked after at all. Uh, and then the last area of ageism um, shift is around, you know, this idea of avoiding mortality and um, end of life and death being a pretty standard process that everyone does the same way. Like you get put in a box, you go to some building, you do a ceremony and you get, you know, put under the ground or you get cremated. End of life will be reinvented as an entire segment of, you know, um, one's life stage. Uh, and And you will have control over how you die, when you die, where you die, how you're memorialized, <laughs> and what's done with your remains. Uh, and those markets don't really exist today. So I, I see a really bright future in a way where potentially life begins at 60 for certain folks. So career carries on, they can still play the sports they love and grew up with, Yep. Uh, potentially meet a new partner. So have an additional 30, 40 years of a career, personal life, maybe even conceived by then with the way technology is developing. So we're kind of building yep. a metaverse in a way, a, a metaverse which doesn't exist. And this new future of aging opens up a brand new metaverse. Is that? Is That's that you, dude, you, you summarized our book better than I could. That's exactly it. You know, just to give you an example of um, what that means. So, um, Adolescence as an era or an age stage didn't really have a definition until the boomers got into it because there were enough of them and society had evolved that you now we created this thing, right? Exactly what you described. That's now coming in this, what we call the fifth stage. And they've estimated now that, yeah, as soon as you turn 65, on average, you're alive 8,000 days. That's 21 years, my friend. Uh <laughs> If you think you're going to go and, you know, retire to Florida and uh, or be in a home for 21 years, are you kidding me? Uh, and so that's what we're saying is what is society for those 21 years? What are the products? What are the services? What are the policies? Uh, and I think it's just a massive opportunity uh, to meet people where they're going. This is amazing you're talking about this. This resonates with something I was watching this weekend. And the number actually surprised me, Zaina. So I think in 2020 and 2019, 
the average age of a tech founder was 30. 42. No, it's okay. 42. I was going to say 39 would have been my guess. So, yeah. 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 Like, that number threw me off. I, yeah. that, I was, that made me smile. Oh, I'll give I you a category. Yeah. So, for Pat, Pat Snap, so there's a whole segment called elderpreneurs or seniorpreneurs. Uh, and there are startup incubators just for the 60 plus entrepreneur. <laughs> This, so. I think this is such a positive outlook, Zaina, to the world because it shows for certain folks who maybe missed opportunities when they were younger due to socioeconomic reasons, personal random reasons, they get a second chance where if they are taking care of themselves and taking advantage of the therapies and the lifestyle habits, it's still game on at like 48 to start a business or take on a new hobby, meet a new life partner. It's actually a, a really positive outlook to the future. Absolutely. But what I'm trying to be very careful with is language around, I can't stand toxic positivity. So when I see like a lot of cliche out there, like, oh, aging is an amazing time of your life. Oh, it's so great. It's got to be positive. I'm like, no, that's not what we're doing here. We're saying that this segment needs a very different thing. They're ready and you got to meet them there, right? Uh, there are going to be a lot of people in this segment who it is everything we've known in the past, but that's what they want it to be. You know, they want to go to a nursing home. They want someone else to take care of them. They don't want to reinvent their career at 80. Fine. <laughs> so it, it's really a micro segmentation. I don't think this is everybody. I just want to be careful that, you know, we're not saying everybody's going to become an Estee Lauder model, you know, in their eighties and, uh, join, uh, a dance troupe or something like that, that it's just that these, yeah, these channels are opening and people are going through them. And so who's going to help them get there at scale? So, yeah, it's, it's, uh, sorry, uh, so, so I'm looking at the bright side of all these amazing entrepreneurs walking yep. around at a certain age and saying, like, the game's not over. And it's actually probably great for innovation because you've got more players in the arena, right? And actually age gives you wisdom and experience. Yep. So actually, it's it's a fascinating space. And so in terms of the Singularity University, I know you're also uh, part of that organization there where you're part of the faculty there. What's a kind of big 100,000 foot view of this category? Are there some really exciting things which are emergent on the uh, d design side, technology side, which we should keep our eye on in the next four um, or five years? I th I'll go. A lot of what I know is because of my role with Singularity. So part of because I have to be trained and go educate, you know, the masses about the future of uh, healthcare, uh, which, again, half of that is aging. Um, uh, you know, some of the things we talked about with some of the um, these emerging vaccines that will exploit the pathways in your cells to reverse uh, aging and uh, and some of the wearables and stuff like that. That's from there. I don't think there's anything new. We haven't taken on at singularity aging as its own stream right there's healthcare manufacturing fintech are the big areas but maybe we will one day um but you know i will say like so just like i mentioned there's elderpreneurs and seniorpreneurs i keep a little lexicon of kind of new language in the tech space <laughs> uh with aging so you want me to just drop a few uh word bombs on you Sure, go for it, Zaina. So remember I said the end of life, everything about death will be reimagined. Um, so that's called necrotech. So maybe that's a category you start tracking. <laughs> so the, all these new ways to, you know, it, just tech innovation around dying.
and death. Um, uh, reminiscence therapy, that's another really emerging category. So this is the idea that if you can tap into um, when in your brain you formed your most formative memories, which tend to be that kind of adolescent to 25 years old, whether that's through the smells from back there, the music from then, then, or like, you know, the, the happy days diner. I don't know if that's a, a, a relevant thing to you as a TV show. <laughs> uh, but anyway, that's a growing area of aging tech is reminiscence therapy, um, nanotechnologies <laughs> instead of nanotechnologies. Um, um, uh, of course, I said geron technology, biogerontology is a whole category of biologics and bioscience. And then, you know, we say IOT. So there's IOOT, or as Canadians would say, is IOT, um, Internet of Older Things. So that's all your sensors and wearables, but designed for this, this uh, population. And I have many more, but those just give you a flavor of some of the, the new language. So that remnants tech just hit a chord with me. <laughs> Even though I'm probably not at that age, I actually saw something posted this weekend. Um, projecting a night out literally where I live when the lockdown's open and we're back to some normality. And it literally was remnants marketing to a certain <laughs> age group. <laughs> I literally got really excited when I saw the ad. So remnants, that's, that's interesting. Smells, maybe VR uh, capabilities, which take you back to a certain time and era. That, exactly. That's fascinating. Yep. That's so video, um, uh, doesn't even have to be VR, by the way, uh, just old school TV screen. So there's a great company out of Norway called Motiview. Check them out. Uh, Modi Tech, I think, is the parent company where they just take recorded video from the village you grew up in in Italy. And they they go really slow as if you're biking through the streets and the landscapes. You put that in front of a person who's now 80 and they will keep biking and biking and biking for hours because they're locked into this old village that they grew up in, or even the city of London, it doesn't matter. And you should see the clinical results. So, um, it, you know, but VR will explode, um, smells, music, and then a built environment. So there's a great um, company out of the US called Town Square, where they do you remember daycare for your children. So yep. there's, there's adult daycare for people with Alzheimer's. Um, mm -hmm. They're called day programs. Uh, but they've, you know, all these empty malls and strip malls because nobody's going to malls anymore. <laughs> so all this real estate is sitting there. They convert them into these adult daycares where the, each room is recreating the 1950s or 60s. The diner, you know, the, you know, the, the house, the whatever, the school. And, uh, and the results of the calmness, the engagement, and the, the therapy for these people with dementia far exceed what you'd get in a beige and burgundy institutional model so and that's reminiscence therapy wow and in terms of obviously what we're seeing in the marketplace a whole bunch of capital being deployed in longevity obviously now now we understand the wider ecosystem of players who will contribute to this new marketplace for our audience are there any cool startups or emerging businesses which we should watch out for or, or keep front of mind yeah, a, a couple. So again, I'm not that excited about the high science stuff, uh, like true longevity science, although that's awesome. So there's that. I just not my space. I'm more excited about the new products and experiences for people because they are going to be alive till they're 120. <laughs> so a couple of areas I mentioned Moda Tech in Norway, which is <clears throat> reminiscence therapy that gets you biking. 
um, uh, Papa in the U.S. Uh, so uh, think of Uber for grandkids. So I'm an older adult. I'm isolated, especially in COVID. I need a little bit of help around the house. I need someone to hang out with. I, you know, I Uber them up and I get grandkids on demand. And the value exchange is bartered between the two parties. And that's mediated by the Papa platform. So they just did a $7 million series A, I think, uh, a few weeks ago. So I kind of like those guys. Um, uh, memory well, uh, is another one that just allows you to capture story and narrative. And again, photos and artifacts of your life become really vital for, um, um, uh, reminiscence, but also creating a better experience around aging and end of life. So I think they just raised another around, and then the last one I'll mention is is a few of the different VR companies like Mind VR, uh, Rendever, um, you know, just where yeah, in the VR context, virtual reality. Uh, remember, you're you're overcoming um, receptors in the brain that would have normally had another input to tell your body what to do, like feel pain. You can replace it those receptors, so it's like a drug in many ways. And so, really neat stuff around pain management. Um, and, um, and even like letting people visualize. So think about if you had a parent or a loved one who was at the end of life, that's extremely shocking for a family member. There's a smell, skin, the way the body is ending its life is very hard for people to see because you don't get to see that very often, right? Maybe once or twice for your parents, if you're lucky. And so there's VR training that can prepare you for what to expect at end of life so that when it happens, you're focused on the person and not on dealing with the trauma. So I just think there's so much going on there. So I could go on and on. Uh, and I think you probably do this. There are lots of good now summaries now of the aging tech space in the different categories. Uh, and I think, that, you know, it's going to continue that way. So, so, so just to help. I'll quick fire right that round now because I've really enjoyed this exchange. So top two books that you most gift or would highly recommend? Well, dude, my book, <laughs> I mean, we just wrote The Future of Aging. Uh, so it's futureofaging.com. It's on Amazon. Uh, I think that just gives you, if you're looking more holistically at everything about aging, I think uh, that's a good uh, story. And then on this topic, uh, absolutely, I'd have to recommend The Longevity Economy uh, by um, Joseph Coughlin. So he's at the MIT Aging Lab, and he's really quantified the size of this economy, this purchasing power, uh, and shows some amazing examples of major market opportunities in this space. Uh, and, and I love the work that his team's doing over in Boston. An alien life form, believer or non-believer, and why? Uh, non-believer, uh, because I just... Uh, you know, I just understand the biology too much to not think it's possible. <laughs> and also, so if, if our audience want to find you online, what's the easiest way to, to find you? Um, Twitter. So first name, last name, Zaina Kayat, LinkedIn. And I've just started getting a little mild obsession with Clubhouse. And so I've, I've run, I'm part of a club uh, we're running called The Future of Health. And then, you know, I also dabble in a few other clubs just because I think it's a fascinating platform. Brilliant. Awesome. Well, Zona, it's been brilliant having you on, on Innovation Capital and uh, hopefully we can get together for part two. My friend, I look forward to it.
And that is it for today's interview with Zaina Kayet. I want to thank her so much for taking the time out of her schedule and sharing her wisdom and insight with us today. If you enjoyed today's episode, hit that subscribe button, share this out with one person who you feel like would be truly impacted from today's episode. If you listen to the entire episode, firstly, thank you so much. We want to give you something, okay? So if you want to spark an impactful discussion around innovation within your organization, then you can go ahead and download your copy of our free ebook, The Connected Innovation Intelligence Blueprint. In this report, we explore what connected innovation intelligence is and how the world's disruptors are using it to grow, compete, and win in a hyper-competitive world. And if you want to grab a free copy of this ebook, all you have to do is go to patsnap.com forward slash blueprint. Again, that is patsnap.com forward slash blueprint. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Until next time, continue to embrace your childlike wonder and stay curious.